the state of South Carolina isn't really known for much. Myrtle Beach is a pretty popular vacation spot. The historic district of Charleston is a must-see, and then, of course, there's Hootie and the Blowfish. But if you ask any true crime buff, the name Pee Wee Gaskins is infamous to say the least. To this day, he is still considered by many to be the boogeyman of South Carolina. My name is Blake Mosley, and you're listening to South Carolina Spook Show. Stay tuned. leading up to September 6, 1991, Donald Henry Pee Wee Gaskins slit his wrists with a razor he had smuggled into his death row cell by swallowing it days earlier. Execution loomed just after midnight that evening, so Gaskins regurgitated the blade from his guts, drew it repeatedly across his veins, and attempted to cheat the state out of killing him on any terms other than his own. Alas, Gaskins' suicide attempt failed, and at 1 a.m., guards strapped the five foot four murderer, rapist, and cannibal into the electric chair at the Broad River Correctional Institution. The condemned man made a simple parting statement. I'll let my lawyers talk for me. I'm ready to go. Ten minutes later, Gaskins was gone. In his wake lay the eight known murders for which he had been convicted, almost all of which involved wickedly prolonged violence and sexual sadism, along with as many as 100 other slayings to which he confessed. Multiple children and at least one baby numbered among the victims. The only friend or family member present for Gaskin's final moments was his 20-year-old son, Donald Jr. It's easy to understand how Pee Wee wouldn't have drawn a crowd of sympathizers. Born in 1933 to a young mother who occasionally prostituted, Donald Gaskin said he never knew his actual name wasn't Pee Wee until he got arrested as a teenager and had to appear in court. Gaskin's childhood is about as nightmarish as they come. Physically petite from birth, hence the nickname Pee-wee, Gaskin's mother regularly beat and sexually humiliated him. She also sometimes even sold her son to boyfriends and clients for further sexual abuse. Relief came for Gaskin's only when he dropped out of school at age 11 and hooked up with two other wayward boys. Calling themselves the Trouble Trio, Gaskin's gang spent the next few years burglarizing homes and businesses, sexually attacking other boys, and stealing cars to go patronize prostitutes. The Trouble Trio only got broken up after gang raping one member's little sister, who told her parents. At this point, Gaskin's was still only 13. Shortly thereafter, Gaskin's broke into a woman's home and, while fleeing, hit her in the head with an axe. He thought he had killed her, but she survived and identified Gaskin's to the cop. A court sent him to reform school. Immediately upon entering the reformatory, an older boy beat up Gaskins and declared the tiny adolescent his sweetheart, a status that involved regular rapes and being forced to do hard labor. The older kid also traded Gaskins for cigarettes and other favors. 
Gaskins claimed that, in one session, more than 20 other inmates raped him. That sort of horrific treatment went on for five years. 18 years old and free, Gaskins married a local girl and found work burning down farms for insurance scammers. After a teenager attempted to turn Gaskins in, he pummeled her with a hammer. She lived. Thankfully, she lived, and Gaskins got six years for attempted murder. Now in prison proper, Gaskins established a fearsome reputation fast by slashing the throat of another inmate while the man was on the toilet. He claimed self-defense and only got three years tacked on to his sentence. At one point, Gaskins escaped from jail by riding inside of a trash barrel. Police picked him up in the Trouble Trio's old clubhouse. He finished his sentence and got out in 1961. Two years later, Gaskins raped a 12-year-old girl. He went back to jail. In November of 1968, Gaskins received parole and commenced his serial murder career in earnest. While working as a roofer, Gaskins picked up a hitchhiker in South Carolina and raped and tortured her for as long as possible before finally doing her in and sinking her remains in a swamp. Of the thrill, Gaskins later wrote, All I could think about is how I could do anything I wanted to her. Traveling the highways of the South, Gaskins took to repeating this pattern with multiple hitchhikers, both male and female. He said he stabbed, strangled, suffocated, and shot his victims, then mutilated and even cannibalized some. He regularly castrated the males, too. Gaskins called these slayings his coastal kills, and in time, he said he murdered 80 or 90 people in this manner. The so-called coastal kills gave way to what Gaskins deemed serious murders in November of 1970. In these cases, Gaskins knew his victims and killed out of rage and or profit, not for mere pleasure. Gaskins' first serious murder victim proved to be his own niece, Janice Kirby, age 15, and her friend, Patricia Ann Allsbrook, who was 17. Upon trying and failing to rape the girls, Gaskins beat them to death. Around this time, Gaskins also hired himself out as a hitman. In one case, he murdered the target along with the two individuals who had set up the deal, plus another pair of associates. That made five dead for the $1,500 price of one. As such, the bodies piled up. Gaskins then befriended ex-con Walter Neely, who readily assisted him in burying corpses, destroying evidence, and fencing stolen goods. At one point, Gaskins came to trust Neely enough to murder Dennis Bellamy, who was 28, and Johnny Knight, who was 15, right while his pal watched. That would later backfire on the killer, though. Gaskins attracted the authorities after 13-year-old Kim Gelkins disappeared. She had spurned Gaskins' sexual advances, and he killed her. Cops then found some of the girls' clothing in Gaskins' home and busted him for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Officers also picked up Neely for questioning. He panicked under pressure and blurted out everything that he knew, including where a heap of bodies were buried. This revelation led to the discovery of Gaskins' most gruesome known crime. Doreen Dempsey, who was 23, lived near Gaskins and actually considered him a friend. Thus, when the eight months pregnant mom needed a lift to the bus station, Gaskins offered a ride to Doreen and Robin, her two-year-old daughter. Instead of the depot, Gaskins drove his passengers to a remote area. He raped, sodomized, and murdered Dempsey right in front of the toddler. He then raped and killed little Robin as well. Afterward, 
Gaskins cut off and ate part of Doreen's leg. The Dempsey's bodies were among the eight Walter Neely had talked about, and to which Gaskins, trying to cut a deal to avoid the death penalty, later led to the police. On May 28th of 1976, a court found Pee Wee Gaskins guilty on eight counts of first-degree murder and sentenced him to die in the electric chair. Shortly thereafter, the Supreme Court outlawed capital punishment, and Gaskins' sentence got commuted to life in prison. Along the way, he claimed to have committed dozens of more murders. In 1982, Gaskins took a paid hit job and killed another prisoner using an explosive device. He got caught and was found guilty. By this time, capital punishment had been reestablished in South Carolina, thus leading to Gaskins' prime seat on the electric chair nine years later. He was a little man with a squeaky voice, dead eyes, and a black heart. Standing just five foot four, Gaskins had been teased about his height since he was a child. As Johnny Cash sang in A Boy Named Sue, Gaskins' size got a lot of laughs from a lot of folks. In the end, the boogeyman of South Carolina, Pee Wee Gaskins, was in fact the definition of a human paradox. Thank you again for checking out this little project that I'm doing. I've gotten some great responses and feedback on it. And I really do appreciate each and every one of you checking it out, leaving me a review on Apple Podcasts, or just hitting me up and telling me you enjoyed the show. It really means a lot. I'm going to keep doing this just whenever I get the time. Uh, Like I said, probably monthly I'll put something like this out. They won't be long episodes either, 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most, something like that. So... Um, but it's a, it's, it's a fun time. I can't wait to get into more of these types of stories. If you don't mind sharing this with some of your friends that maybe enjoy true crime or paranormal stuff or what have you, especially if they're interested in anything based in South Carolina, I really do appreciate that. You can tell them I'm available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, I believe. Um, so a few things. We're, we're, we're growing a little bit. So Uh, And if you don't mind leaving me a uh, rating or review, I really do appreciate that as well. That'll kind of help this grow. And if you have some stories of your own that you can send me regarding ghost stories or if you've seen a UFO or if you encountered the lizard man yourself or if you're like me and you like had some kind of connection to Pee Wee Gaskins. My granddad uh, said Pee Wee Gaskins worked for him for a very short period of time. But if you have stories like that, I would love to hear about them. So you can email me scspookshow at gmail.com and I I appreciate it I'll read it right here on the show also if you want to go check out my music podcast that I do with James Cox it's called When Words Fail Music Speaks Uh, it's a music show kind of like we talk you know music in relation to depression and the healing power of music and things like that we got a lot of great guests that we have on and uh, things like that so go check that out available wherever you listen to podcasts the sources for today's episode came from torontosun.com johnsonvilleschistory.org allthatsinteresting.com and thestate.com thank you again for listening i'm blake mosley and this is south carolina spook show y'all stay spooky